0: I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Thank you for listening to More Christianity. More Christianity is the book I've written to share the Catholic faith with evangelical Christians. And so we go through the different doctrines of the Catholic faith and explain them to evangelicals in a friendly way, not saying, we're right, you're wrong, but affirming everything which is good about their sincere devotion to Jesus Christ, but summoning them to come further up and further in and to share in the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. More Christianity is available to purchase from my website, DwightLongenecker.com. Go there, and look for that, and take a minute to browse my other books as well. And now, let's get started with more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. This is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We come on week by week with a different guest. It's really simple. We just talk to them about their life, about their ministry, their apostolate, maybe their conversion story, what they're doing to promote the Catholic faith and the fullness of the Catholic faith and all its many different facets here on our program, More Christianity. So we welcome you again this week today. My guest is Simka Fisher. Simka is a blogger. You're the mother of what nine children, I believe.
1: I am the mother of nine children, and I, I do write about them. Yes. And
0: and you write about your family life along with a lot of other issues as well. And it's always a hilarious read. It's always robust. I enjoyed your post for April Fool's Day. When you were saying that you'd actually passed away, because and it was all because of the hassles of of a family of uh, eleven people, at all the events before seven a.m. One of them being what well, I think the cat's tail getting stuck in the peanut butter jar or something like that. And yeah, so, we um,
1: could blame the animals for that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> so anyway, welcome to More Christianity, Simka Fisher.
1: Thank you so much for having me
0: on. Now, Simca, in addition to having nine children, and what are their ages? They spread from what uh, teenagers to toddlers. Yep.
1: One is going to be 16 in a couple of days, and the youngest one just turned two a couple of months ago.
0: One of the great things about your blogging is that you actually come into the whole thing of having a large Catholic family with a great sense of joy, but also a great sense of reality, which is one of the great things which makes your blog so interesting. So you're blogging for two different major Catholic outlets National Catholic Register, and the Patheos site. So do you try to put up a blog post every day on both of those sites?
1: I do try to. Some weeks definitely work out better than others. I, I blog for the Register on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then I try and blog for Pathos at least four or five times a week. Sometimes mm-hmm. it you know, comes in bursts when my brain is working, and then the brain stops working and I stop writing. Right. Or I try to stop writing before my brain stops working. That's how I try to... That's the best kind of scheduling I can manage.
0: <laughs> I find the same thing uh, as a fellow blogger over at Pathios. I, I love blogging. And some days I can, boy, I could just blog all day and churn out 10 yeah. or 11 posts. Other days I'm sitting there staring at the screen saying, uh. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. And you're like, you're looking for, you look up thesaurus.com because you can't think of a word for big. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's strange too much. <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I know. It's
1: famine. I know exactly how that is.
0: But one of the exciting things about blogging the faith is that I find that it's really increasingly a wonderful way to interweave our Catholic faith with the events of everyday life. Blogging is a very immediate form of journalistic communication. You know, you don't have to run it through an editor first. It doesn't have to go to copy editing and finally be printed out three days later for a newspaper or a month later for a magazine. It's right there. It's right now. And therefore, you can make instant comment on your life as it as it happens at home or the the news has just come up and it's really a way to weave the catholic truths into ordinary life which is what we're supposed to be doing anyway did you find the same yeah. thing
1: i have found the same thing and sometimes that's a really good thing because you can talk to people who are experiencing things you know you can email somebody who's right in the in st peter's square witnessing something happening and then at the same time you know there's a downside to the all the immediacy of it and the you know, the not having an editor part of it. I think perhaps you're aware of those kind of pitfalls because, you know, something happens and you feel like, well, I have a blog, I have to say something about it, I have to have an opinion about it, I have to contribute something that nobody else has contributed. And then I stop and I think, but I don't have anything to say about this. You know, (laughs) you want to catch that wave, but sometimes you really have no business being on every single wave that goes by. Like many things, it is a balancing act.
0: And it's unpredictable. You know, I was in Rome in January, and I don't know whether you remember there was an incident where the Pope released some white doves of peace from his balcony window, and immediately they were swooped on by a a horrible (laughs) black raven and a nasty seagull. Yeah. Well, I was there, so I blogged on this. You know, that one incident, I had a record number of blog hits that day on that particular post. It went through the roof, and it wasn't anything of great importance. You know, it was (laughs) seagull and crow (laughs) attack Pope's peace doves.
1: Well, I think uh, Tom McDonald, another of our Fathios bloggers, he's been doing a feature where he does your daily capybara, because according to long Catholic tradition, the capybara does not count as meat and therefore can be eaten. You can eat the flesh of a capybara on Fridays. So he's just been doing your daily capybara, and it's been really, really popular for him. And, you know, Tom McDonald is a really smart guy. He's an editor at Games Magazine, and he knows all these things about history. Right. And um, he's extremely knowledgeable, and he's very funny, and he's a very good writer. And it's, it's the capybaras that, that are going to, you know, propel him to fortune.
0: <laughs> so do you think that's one of the keys to attracting more readers, write about cute animals?
1: I can hardly bring myself to say it, but I think we all know that it's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my guest today, more Christianity, is Simca Fisher. She's a well-known blogger on National Catholic Register and also in the Catholic blog at Pathos. You've also um, written a book here for our Sunday Visitor. I've, I've got it in my hand. It's called "The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning." Is is this your first book?
1: This is my first book. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: I have to say that I somewhere or other online when it came out, the cover made it into a contest for the worst book covers or something, didn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, it made it onto more than one list. That that killed me. I I laughed. I laughed my head off when I saw that because I, I was very, very fortunate to have John Harriet design and draw the cover for me. He happens to be one of the cover designers at Ignatius. He's also my sister's husband's brother, which is why he very kindly offered to do the cover for me. And when I was talking to him about it, my idea for the cover was that it ought to be a sort of filter to help people decide whether or not they want to buy the book, because I thought if they don't like the cover, they're not going to like the book. And what I wanted to avoid most of all was to have yet another natural family planning book that had what I call pink flower syndrome. Right. I don't know how many natural family planning books across your desk, but a lot of them have pink flowers on them.
0: Your approach to natural family planning is called The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning by Simca Fisher, published by Our Sunday Visitor. And on the front is a couple who are obviously unclothed, and they're kneeling on either side of a confessional, and I can see there's the serpent. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the confessional. I should say for our more scrupulous listeners that uh, while we can see that the couple are unclothed, there's nothing indecent about the cover. But yeah. it is actually very funny and is very tongue-in-cheek and captures the tone of your book because you're writing about natural family planning and doing so not in a sentimental or a sappy or an overly pious way, but in a very uh, bread-and-butter, nuts-and-bolts-down-to-earth way. So, um right. I've enjoyed the book so far, and it's it's uh, going to be good to talk about it a little bit further. You're listening to More Christianity Today. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I invite you to go and visit my blog, Standing on My Head. Jump over and visit my website, dwightlongenecker.com. You can browse my books. You can listen to archived radio programs of More Christianity by connecting through to the links. <laughs> You can also browse my books and and be in touch. Simca, with nine children, what are your most memorable moments when it's announced to the already existing brood that mommy's going to have a baby?
1: To them, it's just a normal thing that happens. It's something that like, oh, of course you're going to have another baby. Why would you not have another baby? At least to the older ones, it's something that just happens as a matter of routine. And they have some friends who don't have babies in the family or, you know, have never held a baby or something like that. And to them, it's just the strangest, saddest thing in the world. It's as if somebody said, I don't have a pillow and a blanket on my bed. <laughs> like, what? Right. What kind of way is that to live? You know, <laughs> Why don't you have a baby? So I think that's the nicest way to have it for it to be a completely routine thing.
0: Right. So they take it for granted that this is what happens in families is, is that babies come along and there's lots of brothers and sisters. What is the actual mix with your nine children?
1: I have seven girls and two boys. The two boys are next to each other, and they're in the middle.
0: So you've got two princes in the middle of all the princesses.
1: <laughs> it's more Planet of the Apes than prince and princesses. Is it?
0: But... And the boys get... <laughs> are the boys in kind of survival mode, right? Back to back, boys. We've got to fight, to fight our side here.
1: <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yes, and I remember when I had the three girls, and then I have one boy. And that was different, you know, and I thought, oh, okay, this is what having a boy is like, and I'm sort of discovering new things all the time. Then I had another boy, and they were pretty close together in age, and I found myself, when the two of them were playing together, I would find myself constantly saying, hey, don't do that to... Oh, he likes it. Hey, don't do oh, he likes it. <laughs> it was just amazing to me. Like, why are you enjoying beating each other over the head? Like, oh, well, I guess it's okay. I'm not going to interfere because you're both laughing, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still it, kind of a constant mystery to
0: me. It's a joyful uh, thing to see the children and see each one of them in their in their unique personalities develop and grow and my kids are now in high school, college age, and they continue to be a great joy. I, I can remember people saying, "Oh, you got teenagers coming up? Ho, oh, oh, ho! You're, you're going to regret ever having kids because of that." You know, I'm saying, "What are you talking about? I love being with my children at, uh, in their teenage years, in their younger years. Now they're as, as they're reaching early adult adulthood. Of course, you've had moments that are trying and difficult, but it's been a joy all along. I should say, in, in case listeners are." unfamiliar with my situation, and talking about my children, I am actually a married Catholic priest. I'm a former Anglican priest and uh, was ordained to the Catholic priesthood under the pastoral provision for former Anglicans, uh, with permission given by Pope Benedict. So uh, in case there are Catholic listeners out there who aren't familiar with me, Father Dwight Longenecker, and my story, I wanted to inform you about that so that you wouldn't be writing to your bishop saying, do you know there's a person who's pretending to be a Catholic priest out there and he, he says he's married? Right on the
1: radio. Yeah,
0: He's even on the radio on EWTN. Simka, I want to talk now for a little bit about uh, natural family planning and your book and and some of the objections uh, and some of the difficulties. I'm going to play the devil's advocate a little bit just to get the conversation going. You mentioned books on natural family planning that have pink flowers on the front. You're very clear that there's a fair bit of the natural family planning culture, teaching NFP and living NFP, which comes across maybe a little bit overly optimistic and a little bit overly... Well, kind of rosy about the whole thing, saying all the advantages and the benefits of natural family planning. You're a bit critical of that, aren't you? Why And why is that?
1: Well, I'm critical, but first I'm sympathetic about it because I, I understand why people want to paint a rosy picture and why they want to extol all the benefits of NFP. because there are so many people in the world, they're going to their church to get married in the church, and they have no idea that they're not supposed to be using contraception. Half of them are living together or more than half of them are living together and they've never heard any alternative before. When they're fifteen years old, their mother puts them on the pill and this is what's normal. So when they come to the class and they have their, you know, forty five minutes or whatever to teach them about the church's teaching about sexuality, they're gonna say, Okay, there's this thing called NFT and it's really great and these are all the wonderful things that'll happen to it, okay, we'll see you next week you know.
0: Yes. So
1: I understand, I totally understand why they want to present a rosy picture about it. But the reason that I'm critical about it is because that's just simply not the full picture. And a lot of the time what happens is that people hear about it and they say, wow, that sounds great. We're going to have increased communication and we will learn to respect each other and it's going to be really easy and our bodies are going to work perfectly And we will never even have to worry about getting divorced because there's such a low rate of divorce among NFP using couples. And then they get married, and they have some reason to put off having a baby, and they try using NFP, and there are no pink flowers in sight. (laughs) You know, it's one sinner married to another sinner, and they're, strangely enough, encountering difficulties when they try and follow the Church's teaching. And oftentimes, this turns them off natural family planning altogether, and sometimes it even turns them off Catholicism altogether. They're so bitter and angry about it, and they feel like they've been lied to, and in some cases, they actually have been lied to. I've heard people saying that their NFT instructor told them, oh, you're only going to have to abstain four days out of the month or something like that. And they've employed all these horrible mathematical tricks to make it seem like, well, if you assume this, and you assume that, and then you average out this and that... For most couples, it's more than four days a month that they're going to have to abstain. It just doesn't always work out that well. It's just not always that easy. And this is what I really talk about in my book, especially the third section of my book really deals with the sort of emotional and psychological nitty-gritty of NFP. And I make the case that it's not even necessarily just the flat-out abstaining and having to control your sexual urges that is really hard, but the how to live with each other while you're doing that, and how to figure out having a relationship with each other while you're abstaining or while you're not abstaining, or how are you supposed to behave when you are married but you are abstaining. And (laughs) there's all these things that people really do have to figure out. They have to talk about it with somebody. And oftentimes they don't know anybody else who uses natural family planning. Their parents didn't use it or don't want to talk about it. And all they're left with is the... It's marriage building,
0: <laughs> Yes. and
1: that's
0: not helpful. Well, I'm talking with Simka Fisher, who's written a very funny and practical book called The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning. It really is an amusing and an in-depth, very thoughtful read. You're talking about how people have been kind of sold natural family planning with these pink flowers on the cover of the book and a kind of rosy picture. Oh, it's it builds your marriage. It's wonderful. At one point you say, it perfectly reflects the love of the Holy Trinity and all these things which are true. But... They neglect to tell you the tough bits. And isn't that exactly what we do in American culture time and time again? I call it the Disneyland culture or the Coca-Cola culture. You know, we're all standing around smiling and squeaky clean singing, we want to teach the world to sing, (laughs) you know? And right. it's this wonderful vision of of this life that we've got, which is going to be absolutely wonderful. We're all going to have orthodontics. We're all going to have plastic <laughs> surgery when we need it, and we're going to be right. physically right. fit. We're going to be wealthy. We're going to have a wonderful family with just two little children right. and a wonderful house. And it's this whole myth that is promoted of this blissful life that we're going to have, and everything is going to be wonderful. And we fall into the trap in Christianity, Catholicism included, of trying to sell Christianity with the same thing. Come yeah. along and join our church. It's a wonderful fellowship. I I'm going right. to knock the big box churches a little bit. You know, we've got a Starbucks in the lobby, you know, and some of the Catholic churches too. You know, we've got great music and a wonderful youth group, and it's just going to be great. And right. we just quietly forget all this stuff about, if you will be my disciple, you must take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, yeah, And and this is happening, you're saying, with the natural family planning teaching a little bit, and we therefore sell people a false bill of goods. You've made that point very, very clear, uh, helping people to realize that this is a way of following the church's teachings in a way that proves to be a challenge. So, within that whole idea, Simca, marriage therefore becomes, according to your view, I guess— Not so much a sacrament of self-fulfillment, but a sacrament of self-sacrifice. Is that where you're going with this?
1: Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, unfortunately, but also very fortunately, because when you talk about this Disney mentality where people are trying to sell this idea of what your life will be like, what your marriage will be like, what your sex life will be like, there's two problems with that point of view. Number one is that it's not attainable. It's not going to happen. 99% of the population are just not going to have that life. And the other more serious problem is that why would you want that kind of life? Because... Not only is it not going to happen, but it's something that you shouldn't even want.
0: Yeah, Disney Disneyland is a nice place to visit for a day, but you don't want to yeah, live there. Yeah, well,
1: why would you want to live there? So I was just reading a account by somebody who had a job working inside one of the giant costumes. He was the beast from Beauty and the Beast or something. He you know, It was <laughs> 175 pounds of fur. He's walking around with it. It's 92 degrees out. On a know?
0: July afternoon in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to steal that, Simca. That is a great yeah, metaphor. Yeah, you can have you that one. <laughs> Yeah, the Disney lifestyle, the reality of it is is being in a beast suit in, in 92 degrees. Yeah, of,
1: with, with the heat rashes and the nausea. And the
0: <laughs> waving at kitties. Simca, you're an advocate for natural family planning, and... I'm assuming your husband, Damien, is is right with you in it. You're supporting him, and he's supporting you, and your family are loving, and despite your grumbles and your difficulties in the book, you're making this work, and you're a shining example of, of the struggles that it involves. But what do you do, then, about those tough cases when a woman says, we live in a tiny house, we have five kids already, my husband is working three jobs to pay the bills, I can't go out and work because... Well, I'm looking after the kids, and my health isn't so great. And the doctors have really said to me, I should not have any more children. Let's just use some common sense. And next time I have that baby and they offer for me to have my tubes tied or whatever, Mm -hmm. that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, what do you do about those tough cases?
1: I think the thing to do in that situation is not to pretend that you have all the answers for them. I think that can be really damaging is if you just sort of repeat the party line even if it's perfectly true. I mean, if you're talking about like what should the typical person do if they encounter somebody like that? My policy is just to offer as much sympathy and prayer as I possibly can and not to assume that it's up to me to necessarily argue somebody out of feeling a certain way because a lot of the time when people are really desperate, they are looking for help. They're not necessarily looking for the answer that they think is right in front of them.
0: I see your point, and certainly as a Catholic priest, if people come to me with these tough cases, sometimes they're actually saying to me, not in so many words, but they're saying, Father, I want your permission to be sterilized. I want you to tell me it's okay to use artificial contraception. And I can't do that. I can't contradict. I don't have the authority to contradict the teachings of the church.
1: No, nobody does. Right. And
0: and so, therefore, we just simply, as you say, sympathize. But the other thing which makes it difficult, and I'm going to lay this at your feet again, is this is the one area of the church's teachings and sin, well, one one of the few areas, there's others as well, Where the decision to obey the church's teachings, the decision to obey the the natural law and, and go with God, involves another person. And some yeah. of the most difficult choices are where one of the spouses wants to be open to life, right. wants to have a, you know just as many children as God gives, as, as people say, mm-hmm. and the other partner is saying, no way, Jose, I didn't bargain for all this. Sometimes people come to natural family planning after they're already married, and they didn't right. discuss it beforehand. Uh, how do you right. deal with that?
1: It's a mistake to think that we're going to come up with the perfect answer that's going to answer it for somebody. Considering how many people I know who went ahead and did get sterilized, I know at least a couple of guys who went ahead and got vasectomies, and I know two women who got their tubes tied, and after a couple of years, the Holy Spirit opened their hearts, and they went and got it surgically reversed, Mm -hmm. and they went on to have more children. So I think that the key is to recognize that God is the one who has the power to change people's hearts. And... God is the one who has the power to make people hear the things that he wants them to hear. And obviously we have to be strong and we have to be courageous when these questions are put to us. And we can't just give the easy answer and we can't just give no answer and we can't just, you know, kick the can down the road and, and, and pass it off to somebody else. But I think that when somebody comes to us with these questions, I always pray first. I always, always pray first. And I say... Don't let me worry about what I'm saying. You worry about what I'm saying. This is what I say to God. You know, I say, this is between this lady and you, and I'm just going to stand in the middle, and I need you to pass through me in some way, and I don't need to know about it. Just do what you need to do, and then I just do my best. Right. And, you know, and I don't even remember what I say a lot of the time, but sometimes people will come back and say, you said just the right thing, and I think, "Wow, great! What was it? I need to write that down." You know, but it wasn't me saying it, and it wasn't them hearing it. It was the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, that's in the promise in the Gospels. Ask the Spirit, and He will give you the words to speak when you when you need them. And it's a promise that I've I've claimed and and had come true, very many times. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity. Today my guest is Simka Fisher. She's a blogger at National Catholic Register and Pathios Catholic Channel and also the author of The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning. She's the mother of nine children and so she speaks from authority about this particular issue in church life. Simka, the struggle to live a faithful Catholic life uh, with natural family planning and within Catholic marriage is uh, part of the great struggle of following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to just reference my uh, latest book, The Romance of Religion, which is about fighting for goodness, truth, and beauty, and the great struggle that, that Christian life actually is. And this is part of what your book is trying to get to, I think, and saying it is meant to be a struggle. It, it isn't meant to be an absolute walk in the park and, or in Disneyland. Yeah. And that marriage is the the battleground, if you like, where, where this struggle takes place. So just in closing here, what can you say about the spiritual benefits that have come from your obedience to the Church's teachings on this difficult matter?
1: I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's not all about me, and that has been the biggest relief of my life, as well as being the most difficult lesson of my life, and it's something that I have to learn over and over again, is that you may be in the center of your universe, but that doesn't mean that you're the most important part of your universe. It just means that you're kind of like the center point that all the spokes go through, but it's the the rest of the wheel that's actually going somewhere, (laughs) if that makes sense. That's something that natural family planning has really hammered home for me, that I have to, I don't think about myself, I think about my husband. I don't think about what I want, I think about what God wants. I don't think about what I need, I think about what my children need. I don't necessarily think about what my experiences are, or think that those are the only or most important experiences, but I listen to The experiences of other couples who have different kinds of marriages. So, strangely enough, even though it's such an extremely personal and private and intimate thing, it's something which has really turned my eyes outward toward everybody else.
0: And this is the beauty of marriage actually being a sacrament in the Catholic Church that we say that through the sacraments we actually make our way to heaven. Through the sacraments we receive the graces that help us to make our way to heaven. It's through the the transaction that takes place in the sacraments that we're actually in touch with God in a very real, very relevant, and very practical way. And I think it's the sacrament of marriage which hammers this home more than any of the others because I know when I'm teaching about marriage to our confirmation kids, I'll say, so is marriage just when he proposes to you? No. Is it when you just get married and you have a wonderful white dress and a lovely day? No. Is it just when you go on the, the honeymoon and you go to a wonderful place? No." You mean it, it also includes when you've been married for five years and he spent the whole night up watching sports on TV and you come down and the kitchen <laughs> is a mess and you and you, and you step in some cat pee and, and the kids are screaming and <laughs> all the rest of it, their faces are falling. I'm saying, that's marriage too. That's the sacrament of marriage too. So that in all our everyday lives, we're going on this pilgrimage to heaven and that it's the beautiful struggle, the one that God has given us to follow. And the more faithful we are and obedient to that, the more we will experience that sacrament, and I think all the other sacraments as well. Simka Fisher's been my guest today. This is More Christianity. Simka, thanks for being with us. God bless you and all your kids and your family, and keep on writing and keep on informing and entertaining and inspiring us with all that you do.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.
0: And remember, Simka's book is The Sinner's Guide to Natural Family Planning, and I encourage you to follow her blog at the Catholic Channel on Pathios and also at National Catholic Register online. I want to draw your attention to my latest book, The Romance of Religion. The Romance of Religion is published by Thomas Nelson, and it's available at all good booksellers, also through Amazon and through my website, dwightlongenecker.com. In the Romance of Religion, I'm using the word romance not like falling in love and giving your beloved chocolates on Valentine's Day, but instead we're talking about romance as the great story, the hero's adventure, and it explores our Christian faith in terms of the great adventure. It goes right back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uses those stories and shows how all the great heroes of the faith have stepped out and gone on the great journey to the Promised Land. Pick it up and share it with others, the Romance of Religion.